0: Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander with me, Dr. Jamie Reeves, and me, Reverend Harry Menafegu. Just a quick word before we get started there will be spoilers here. As we talk about the entirety of the Outlander book series, meaning all eight existing main books, and then the short stories and the novellas, we will mention significant and, well, not so significant plot developments throughout the series. We could do an entire episode on whether or not this series can be spoiled, but if you haven't finished it yet and want to discover the drama as it unfolds for yourself, then we suggest you finish the series as soon as possible. Well, as if you need someone to tell you that. and then come back and listen to the podcast. Either way, we'll be happy to have you. And now for the episode. So this is episode seven. Welcome back. We're glad to have you.
1: You're listening to Outlander Soul. We're looking at the series Outlander by Diana Gabaldon, and we're looking at it through a theological, religious, and spiritual lens.
0: Yeah, and we're also interacting with fans about the role that it plays in their lives and why it's important for them and what they learn from it and how it how it sort of influences how they see the world or themselves or their relationships all that good stuff yeah so yeah Yeah. so that's what we're doing for each episode now people have been coming back with feedback either by email or through the surveys that we do at the end of each episode and people continue to sort of Find us and are starting sort of from the beginning. And so they're still answering questions that we gave for episodes one and two, which is great. We're so excited about that. <laughs> one response that we wanted to make sure and share with you for this episode was from a listener who was talking about the other books that have made a difference for them. She says, uh, from a theological perspective, the two stories that come to mind the most for her are Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale and Barbara Kingsolver's The Poisonwood Bible.
1: Wow! Yeah, have you been watching *Handmaid's Tale*? No, um, I'm. I have not, and I do have Hulu. Oh, but hairy. I know, I know. But the book, <laughs> the book, really messed with my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, and so it, yeah, it will do. Here, here's the evening. Is do I want to put myself in that space? You know, yeah. because every time I open up the newspaper, I sort of feel like I'm in that space half the time. And so yeah. the question is, do I want to put myself in that space for for this moment? And so far, I've not been able to do that. However, I, I'm a hypocrite because I do that for Game of Thrones, and I do, yeah. and I do that for Westworld, which destroys yeah. me every time I watch it. So, Oh,
0: crap. I've got to catch up on Westworld. Yes. I haven't even started watching Season 2 yet. Oh, oh my gosh. We just right. watched oh, the first no.
1: episode of Westworld, Season 2, and it is hard to watch let me yeah. just say it was a oh, hard episode one though, so. oh beautifully done we will at some point have to do a podcast on uh, oh my gosh wouldn't <laughs> that be West amazing World. that would be so much fun it would be but the handmaid's tale i i give kudos to those who have watched it it is on my list to watch and the book just about whew, that book really messed me.
0: <laughs> it, uh, the book is amazing. I've read it a few times now. If I think if I ever get a tattoo, it'll be the Latin, don't let the bastards grind you down. Yeah, the series has been so good. And of course, you know, the same thing with Outlander. There have been purists out there who are like, oh, it's not the story. Anymore. And and I get that. I understand, you know, if a story has made such a difference for you, then then yeah, I can see how it's difficult to see it changed. But they have done such an amazing job. But yeah, there was a piece I read, I think it was maybe in The Guardian or something, was talking about how just watching violence against women on a regular basis and how they just can't do that. So I, under- yeah. I understand. It's so prescient. It's so... oh, just feel like, you know, Gilead is is arriving um, yeah. any day now, uh, yeah. which is... Scary as hell. Yeah. Yeah, and this this person who responded was basically saying the same thing about how The Handmaid's Tale has been really important for her and that she has a lot of issues with organized and patriarchal religion and well, <laughs> how it feels really, really um, relevant <laughs> you've, right now. You
1: found a sisterhood here. We also <laughs> have a skeptical view of patriarchal yeah. religion or any organized yeah. religion, so to speak, even yeah. though we are both spiritual people so yeah yeah, yeah.
0: we you we, we feel you she also talked about how uh, her experience of reading romance novels because we asked about that in episode two and she says honestly the outlander series was the first romance series she ever read she wasn't questioning whether or not it was a romance which uh, i thought was interesting Woo-hoo! she says other than that <laughs> the only other ones she had read were the twilight series and then she says don't judge me um which hey we're not judging i
1: read the twilight series again the last book really messed me up i don't like it but (laughs) i liked the first three very much (laughs) yeah but she says she
0: finally did break down and read 50 shades gray uh recently which you know i haven't done and she says (laughs) which i thought was great she said the sex was kind of hot but the (laughs) writing was atrocious which is what i've heard And she says, I also don't see that as a romance story so much. She says, just two really messed up, codependent, needy people. And that she's currently reading a Jacobite Jacobite series by Julia Brannan, which Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of. So I'm going to have to go and look at that. Which she says are quite good, but not Outlander good. But that if she hadn't have read Outlander, she probably wouldn't have read this series. So in some ways, Outlander has opened her up to reading other romance series which you know that was one of the questions that we had or were curious about is whether or not Outlander's been a gateway drug, so to speak.
1: <laughs> well, actually, you know, it's funny, and, and this was not in our uh, listener. Well, it's listener feedback, but it's listener feedback mm. that somebody actually told me here in Richmond. Right. <laughs> so, a, a, a few feed- actually know one of our listeners. I do. Oh, I gosh. know a few of them, and I'm so pra- I'm so I'm so grateful for all of my friends who are indulging <laughs> me in this way by listening to us. But one of my friends, the one that I mentioned when we were talking about Outlander in the second episode, mm-hmm. we were talking about romance in the second episode, and I said she kind of called me out and said, "Oh, this is just a bodice ripper," and said mm-hmm. it in, in a derogatory way. She, she and I had wine this past week, and and, <laughs> uh, and she and I and she's just like, "I just want you to know that episode changed my mind. That episode oh, wow. changed my mind about romance." And she doesn't like to see sex on television and I I get that I I know other people who feel very uncomfortable or who just don't think it's a pretty thing to look at I no judgment at all but she said she had to put aside the television series because of Mm. its visuals so much and it was just frustrating her because she liked the story so she's like I think I want to start with the book hooked her up with the book and hopefully Mm. she'll be able to enjoy it that way because you know the, Diana Gabaldon writes, writes beautiful sex scenes mm. in the television series they seem a little more intense because I'm I'm, mm. I'm seeing them and for my friend she's looking forward to the story she really loved what we said she also loved one of the articles that you posted on our Facebook page having to do with the anthropological look at oh, yeah, Outlander. Yeah, yeah. she loved that wasn't that a great piece yes oh I'm so proud I'm yeah. so glad to find it yeah so that made her want to read it a little bit more she She's changed her mind about romance she's changed her mind about it being yes. kind of a, a a lesser thing and bodice rippers being a bad thing but uh, this is this is much more of a, a yay girl thing <laughs> this is more of a girl not to
0: not to, uh, to sideline any of the men who might be listening to this but yay girls yay yep. girls yeah Okay. Well, that's great. I'm so glad to hear minds have been changed. We we have fulfilled our calling. (laughs) That's great. Hey, and and, and that's Uh, a nice
1: segue there, Jamie.
0: Yeah, talking about calling. So today's episode, we are going to spend time on vocation and call but we're gonna spread this over a number of episodes and we're not gonna give it to you all in one sort of dump as it were We're, we'll spread it out over time but today we're gonna focus on Claire's call but we'll give a little bit of introduction and then Launch into it. So again, thanks to listeners who are giving us feedback. We still want to hear from anybody, everybody, about what you're ex- experiencing or what you think, and and we'll give you a name if you want a name, or we'll make you anonymous if you want to be anonymous. So it's up to yourself what you'd like to do.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about call and vocation. What is a call, and what is vocation? So yeah, because I
0: think they're two different things. Definitely. They they
1: are. So a, a call is receiving the knowledge. I can hear your dog in the background oh, no. I'm like trying not to giggle she's... Yeah, and there's a picture her. of her sweet dog on our Facebook page as well so just go to our Facebook page we've got she's some really great like, things come going on
0: mom I just want to get out from under this desk don't you do something else
1: anyway I think she'll go back to sleep yeah all right so uh calling is yeah. the knowledge of what you're here to do it's mm. it's suddenly or not so suddenly knowing what you mm. are supposed to do in this life it assumes that you have a special purpose so mm. allah steve martin in the jerk i have a special purpose <laughs> you know so and and okay. for everyone i don't think it's the same special purpose so the, the knowledge of you have a special gift a special skill and it can be used for someone else. That's the idea of having a calling. It can be used for you as well as for other people. Vocation is a little bit different. Vocation is the actual work you are called to do. So one is more objective and one is a little more subjective. So vocation actually comes, mm. although they come from the same word. So vocation comes from the Latin word and Forgive me, I I don't know how to pronounce Latin, but it's vocare, I believe is is the way you pronounce it, and it it means to call.
0: Related to voice, Related right? To Vocation, V O C
1: is the root. Yeah, yeah. so that, to hear a call, to hear a calling mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. call out. If you have ever had that sudden epiphany of, hey, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I meant to do. And for mm-hmm. many of us who were in the evangelical tradition, a lot of times mm-hmm. those epiphanies happened at retreats up on a mountaintop far away <laughs> where suddenly you just knew I was going to go and work on the mission field somewhere so yeah or felt
0: terrible if you never had that epiphany yeah, so um, yeah which are, we'll talk about that later too yeah but, so
1: there are those people who've never had that bright moment where they knew mm-hmm. so there are lots of different ways people are called for those of us who use scripture whether it be the Hebrew or the Christian, or the Islamic scriptures, there are Mm -hmm. lots of different ways people hear that calling. The epiphany one, you know, Apostle Paul, like, clearly Mm -hmm. is a huge one on the road Mm -hmm. to Damascus. he gets
0: knocked off his damn horse. I mean, how how much more of an epiphany do you need? When Jesus talks to him
1: (laughs) and says, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's... Yeah, and so, you know, and all I can... All I think of is Monty Python and things like that. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, the two-dimensional clouds part and there's God talking. <laughs> With the little trumpets exactly, coming out their butts. Exactly, <laughs> So, but, you know, a call can also be very gradual, you know, like the, the Apostle Peter or King David. Mm-hmm. If you're going to look at the call in the Hebrew scriptures, David is anointed by Samuel and after he's yeah. anointed, he just goes right back out in the field to take care of the sheep. And it, it's kind of a very gradual thing for him to go into this idea of going from a shepherd to a warrior yeah. to a king. So it's almost
0: a, a maturing, maturation sort of. You, you. Yes,
1: he grows into the call. You, yeah, you grow into
0: it. Yeah, And that's where yeah.
1: most of my friends and relatives are. They grew into mm. a space that they filled that there was an empty space and they grew into that space and filled it there are people who have been born always knowing what they are meant to do yeah yeah well and that oftentimes comes from either extreme poverty or extreme wealth oh that's a good thought
0: i've never really considered sort of the middle class always known what you were born to do
1: <laughs> whether or not there is a class issue to that in the middle class, we seem to have so many choices, right? In reality, we're we we we're probably following a path that we have always been meant to be. And I, I, I will have to get a, mm. a friend of mine on the show at some point. He's a biologist. He works in genetics. And he's just like, you know, I'm looking around this coffee shop and everybody's doing exactly what they were probably meant to do and were born to do. He's of the opinion that there is kind of a predestination written in our genes. So... Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah. Yeah. let's get him on we want to talk about yeah we want to talk about that quite a bit but there are some people who are born to it so if you are born i hesitate to use this term if if you were born as a child of donald trump because of his wealth
0: Mm. not
1: because of what he is doing at this point in his life but because of his Mm -hmm. wealth you are most likely going to follow a certain path you're probably going to go into real estate yeah, because that's where yeah. he made most of his becoming his some money
0: senior political advisor
1: and not having yes. any experience whatsoever but anyway well yeah uh, yeah but aside. that's besides the point <laughs> yep. so you know if you are donald trump's son or daughter you are born into a certain age and it's it similar to people who are born in extreme poverty there are fewer choices mm. But then there are people who are born under a dancing star kind of thing. And we see these folks in scripture. So if you're looking at like Samson, Samson gets born and he Mm -hmm. is set aside as a Nazarite. And so he is Mm -hmm. born to a certain thing does he fulfill that thing that's a Mm -hmm. question but he is born to be the nazirite it's very similar to what happens to to samuel samuel Mm -hmm. is dedicated because hannah his mother cannot have children when she becomes pregnant she dedicates samuel to the temple so his course is set
0: same with isaac and ishmael too sort of regardless of whatever they do to make money their their purpose in life is to be the father of of You know these two two tribes yeah yeah Yeah.
1: they're called to do something whether you're called Mm. in an epiphany you grow into it or whether you have always known it and you were born into it Mm. the call is there the question is whether or not mm-hmm. they take up the mantle and actually do the work the vocation is the actual yeah. work you do
0: well frederick bignard talks about that vocation is mm-hmm. the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need the deep gladness i think is maybe where that calling is so he's saying you know the vocation is the place where those two things meet where our calling what we feel called to do and what the world needs yeah. and is what our vocation is.
1: I think it also has to do with what makes our heart sing. You know, it yeah, has to do absolutely. with a, a skill or a gift or a passion that we have that kind of makes our heart just go, Wee! Yeah. and then we find that that thing actually can meet the need of someone else. I, I want to make sure we acknowledge as we,
0: as we start this conversation about vocation and calling is how some people never feel that how they never have that epiphany or they never feel as if there's really something for which they have a overwhelming passion for i mean i I know a few who are just happy just doing their thing they're not out to change the world they don't have messiah complexes they're not um (laughs) Uh, you know, and we'll talk about that more later um, in another episode. But I don't want us to set this up as a uh, this is what you need to do in order to be called. Sometimes I really wonder, are they called to keep all the rest of us in check? Is that what it is? <laughs> you know, How do we how do we acknowledge that as a valuable thing?
1: We tend to think of calling and vocation as this lifelong thing. I don't think that it is necessarily. It can be. Mm. obviously we, we it see can come stories. and go yeah yeah and I, I think it changes mm. so it can be for something mm-hmm. small it can be I've been called mm. to be on the vestry or I've been called to be a part of the altar guild. I have yeah. a great deep need for organization, even though you'd never know it walking <laughs> to my house. I have a great need to to make sure things are somewhat perfect. And so mm. the folks ask me to be on the altar guild and I actually get a real heart swell when I am sitting mm. in church and I see all all the things that we've polished and set out used appropriately and it's done right. Mm -hmm. So it's a small thing. It's not going to be a game changer in the world. But for that moment and that time, that was my call and that's my vocation.
0: So different types of calls. So we've just said they can kind of come and go. They can be for little tasks or they can be for big tasks. Being born into a specific task. So we talked about Samson. We talked about Samuel, Isaac, and Ishmael, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, Jesus, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: we could say that. So as we're getting ready to talk about narrative, and as we're getting ready to Mm -hmm. talk about story, you have to look Mm -hmm. at almost any of the hero epics any of the hero stories there's always Mm going to be a call scene there's always going to be a moment it's going to be either the epiphany moment or it's going to be a moment of realization that hey all this time this is what has happened and now I'm here and I'm fulfilling my vocation everything has led me to this point exactly Um, exactly and you know we can talk about scripture but as we're moving into it we need to be able to recognize the call of the hero in most of the things that we are either watching in film and television or or reading about. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, a couple other examples that, because we're going to spend most time talking about Outlander, obviously, but other examples in other stories, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Would we say
1: he was born into it or it was thrust upon him? I think that he was born into it and hidden from it because of the situation with his father, Anakin. So you've got uh, Luke Skywalker and... And his sister... Back to that
0: genetic question you, you yep. brought earlier.
1: so Yeah. So there's no choice, really, for him. He's going to be called. And he's going to be called to help bring back balance to the force. Like his father was called to bring yeah. balance to the force. And unfortunately mm. brought a different mm. kind of balance. So Luke is, is brought in. He is hidden. He, is, he and his sister are separated. But... The way fate works, and the way the Force works, and the way their genetic predisposition towards the Force, and Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, Obi-Wan Kenobi is watching him, and oh, by the way, a prince is watching Princess (laughs) Leia, and oh, by the way, you know, so so that there are others who are kind of fulfilling their call to to Mm -hmm. be watch guards, and to be teachers, and to be, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the ones who are going to help lead the hero to his... And Mm -hmm. her destiny. I'm still waiting to find out what happens with Rey. I love Mm -hmm. the new incarnation of the Star Wars series. I I love Mm. Rey and I love Finn and the the dark side coming out and being Solo's son. And it's just, I I love that so much. But I'm wondering how Rey is called into this and whether it's going to be something that she was born into or something that she is... And hidden
0: in the same way that Luke was. Yeah,
1: or something she was thrust into. I'm still, I'm still questioning right. whether or not that's going to happen. And I don't think we're going to find out for at least another episode.
0: Well, um, and someone else born to the specific task, Buffy, right? Right. Buffy the Vampire Slayers. Right. She was given this particular skills yep. upon birth, right? To do what she's able to do.
1: In every generation, mm-hmm. there is born a slayer who will protect mm-hmm. us from the vampires and the werewolves right. and the other supernatural <laughs> creepy crawlies that are out there. Love that series. Love you, Joss Whedon. She's born to it but it, she doesn't come into full until the previous slayer mm. has died and so when the mm-hmm. previous slayer is killed she suddenly yeah. becomes Buffy the vampire slayer uh, <laughs> a job opening arises <laughs> and yeah. she
0: slots herself in right?
1: well okay so Jamie is this is very similar he's born to be this laird mm. and, uh, he is, yeah. and his, his, he's not born to be the laird originally his brother William is and he mm-hmm. dies and so Jamie mm-hmm. assumes the role
0: yeah, we'll do we'll do a specific episode just on Jamie's call. So okay, so a vocation that's thrust upon them. We talked about some of the prophets. Maybe Moses would be an example of that. But in other yeah. stories, Frodo and Samwise in yes. Lord of the Rings. I don't think either of them planned. May have, um, yeah, whether or not either of could have done it on their own and we can get into plot holes there too but whether or not it was something they would have chosen to do or if they were born to do is is something that I think probably not it was a vocation was thrust upon
1: them they didn't Uh, Yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. I think Frodo would have been very happy to live in the Shire for the rest of his life. I don't think he Mm -hmm. had the wonderlust that his uncle had. I think that, yeah, I think that's probably true. And that kind of reflects the time in which this was written, which was right around World War II. Mm -hmm. There was something horrible going on. And J.R.R. Tolkien writes this beautiful story about the men and women who Mm -hmm. saw the horrible thing going on and would have been happy to live their life in the shire their own shires yeah. but yeah. but travel great distances to stop the evil and many of them didn't return with great sacrifice yeah, yeah. and all of them yeah. were changed
0: yeah except i love that i love that story so much so don't hear me hating on it at all but i i am just why couldn't they have just the eagles taken them from the beginning <laughs> my goodness ankles have just dropped the ring into mount doom and saved everybody a whole lot of hassle oh yeah ever since i sort of realized that i was like oh no (laughs) this whole
1: story yeah yeah could have done that without the spiders months ago (laughs) without having to deal with shiloh met aragorn oh Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah 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 But another one whose vocation is thrust upon them, another sort of fantasy fantasy sci-fi series that means a lot to me, would be The Hunger Games, Katniss. And she just, you know, the situation arises. Somebody has to do it. And she does it and she does it to just protect her sister just to protect her her
1: family yeah but then mm-hmm. it becomes this mm-hmm. huge thing and now she's thrust into this role of overturning the world yeah <laughs> so and, yeah, and she does a couple of times so we've we talked about the the vocation being thrust upon them born to a specific task but there are those who, like you said, kind of grow into mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. not really realizing that they're on the path until, hey, they look behind them and go, hey, this led me here.
0: They sort of skill up yeah. for lack yeah. of a better so word. Yeah,
1: so Abraham and Sarah grow into that. I mean, Abraham gets a call. Mm-hmm. He gets told mm-hmm. that you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. But God never tells him how. Exactly. <laughs> and just and, and he just starts wandering. So <laughs> Mm. He sets off and he starts wandering and then grows into Mm. the father of generations. And Sarah, as far as we know, because it's not recorded, never gets that call. So she's kind of along for the ride, even though she's a pretty important piece Mm. of it. Mm -hmm. I think, too, there are others kind of in the Marvel myth. Clearly, like with Spider-Man, he becomes... This thing overnight yeah so in some ways it's thrust upon him yeah. but he has to learn how to be we see that over and over in the marvel myth the origin mm-hmm. story it's different mm-hmm. than the dc myth in the sense mm-hmm. that superman seems to always know that he's supposed to do good so superman was born into it yeah born, definitely born into sort of, it yeah. and separated mm-hmm. from his family and, and everybody who could have mm-hmm. taught him what to do mm-hmm. But he has this Mm -hmm. internal wiring to to do good. You don't see that with Tony Stark. And you don't see that with Peter Parker necessarily. There's some conflict there of whether or not they could use their power for themselves. And you see Mm -hmm. it even more specifically when you're talking about Bruce Banner and The Hulk. He really has to rein in his... Baser nature, particularly when he becomes the Mm.
0: Hulk. I'm thinking too the X file or not X files. Oh gosh, that's a whole other thing. The X Men and sort of growing into their vocation in the sense of accepting their mutancy and Mm -hmm. where their mutancy can be used and sort of having to grow and mature into into that experience.
1: Yeah, and the different ways it could go. So you know, Doctor X goes one way, and Magneto Mm. goes a completely different way. But also Harry Potter, Hermione Granger.
0: I mean, she in some ways is born to it in the sense of has the skills even as a young one we know you know she we can see that she's highly intellectual and she's headed down that path but as far as what she's going to do with it 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 took maturing it
1: took time for her to pull things together and it took a time of great need for her to rise to the occasion because harry could not have done this while he's born to this role and, and was given an unfortunate gift at the time that his mother died. Mm-hmm. If it hadn't been for Hermione, and in some ways Ron, mm-hmm. I think Ron provided community and friendship, but Hermione really mm-hmm. provided stability and skill. If it hadn't been for them, he would never have done this.
0: Yeah, well, same with Frodo. Frodo and Samwise, yes. it wouldn't have happened without Sam carrying Frodo up the hill right, know, right, up the mountain. right. So, okay, so we've t- spent a lot of time talking about all these other stories and how we see Call in in the different ways in which Call happens. So what about Outlander? For the rest of the episode, we'll talk about Claire's calling. Yeah. So Claire's called to be what?
1: A healer. A white woman. Yeah. A La dame yeah. Blanche. White lady. Yeah,
0: yeah, mm.
1: yeah. She is a healer.
0: yeah. Selfless concern when somebody's in need. If there's a a person who has a health issue, you can be guaranteed that Claire is going to insert herself into the situation and take charge,
1: right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That is just what she does. She begins this as a nurse during a time of great need. Mm -hmm. She goes off to Mm -hmm. the front lines. Does the book get into her training as a nurse prior to this, or does she get trained because of World War II? The way I always understood
0: it, she's got training on the job. As far as I understood, and please, any listeners who know different, let us know. Yeah, as far as I remember... She signed up to be a nurse and then got nursing training while she was there. I don't think she had nursing training prior
1: to signing up. So she grows into this Mm -hmm. because she's raised by Uncle Lam, who's the archaeologist, and then meets Frank because he's a historian. They Mm -hmm. fall in love. They get married. The war happens. Both Mm -hmm. of them... Being the solidly British people they are, go to fight for their country because their country. I mean, they're yep. getting blitzed, and and they yeah. they volunteer and they they separate. She goes to the front lines. He yep. stays behind and does secret agent spy stuff. And she becomes this. She comes into her own as a healer. Okay, so she grows into it, but she's also
0: born to it, right? Yeah, because she's got that blue light around her. I know nothing about aura sort of stuff, but th- I mean that's certainly kind of the the vibe it gives in the book that she gives off this blue healer vibe that comes from being a descendant of Raymond, we think master Raymond. And so in some ways she is born to it, right? right? I mean, it's in her genes. Right. It's it's, she has no
1: choice. Yeah. So she, she doesn't realize it, but she, she's has this capacity of, and, and we get the description because it's written in first person of being able to clear her mind of everything else mm. And see mm-hmm. where the problem is, what she needs to do in the surgery before the surgery mm-hmm. happens. But mm-hmm. Master Raymond seems to have some of these abilities as well. When she's dying after where the having faith, is, yeah, or, yeah, he seems yeah. to be able to find where the infection is, place mm-hmm. his hands there, remove it, and heal the person, much like mm-hmm. Claire does. She doesn't recognize this capacity in her and when the war comes suddenly the capacity is there and it's everything she wants to do she has a desperate need to do it it's her passion
0: yeah there is a supernatural sort of aspect to this to this
1: calling or to this
0: gift um even when she identifies well it's never been said as such but I think it implies when she identifies Galus's skull and how she yes how she died yes in was it Voyager, yes. yeah, Voyager. Or, you know, we mentioned Master Raymond, but also the doctor that heals Roger in yes. is it, the last book, who we think is somehow related to this family of healers. So I think there's an element of it being thrust upon her in the sense of the war happens, you don't really have a choice. She grows into it because she gets the training, she moves on, but she's also born into
1: it too. So she's a bit of all three, right? Right, I think others recognize that in her. Frank recognizes this in Claire. Yeah. Jamie yeah. does as well. Frank absolutely mm. recognizes this and he gives a shout out to all the people who never knew what they were supposed to do in their life yeah. and, and could do yeah. a lot of things and just made a decision to go after the one thing. He says, Claire, you've known forever who you are. Do you not realize mm-hmm. how unusual it is to know that? I haven't got that. I'm good, all right, at what I do, the teaching, the writing, bloody splendid, in fact. I like it a good bit, and I enjoy what I do, but the thing is, I could do something else and be just as good. He recognizes how rare it is for Claire to know exactly Mm -hmm. who she is and what she is meant to do, and yet... He does not want her to do that thing. Yeah. He wants to, because after becoming the nurse and coming back through the stones in 1948, Claire then pursues becoming a doctor in a time Mm -hmm. when doctors were... All white men.
0: Well, I wonder, too, though. Okay, so Frank is saying this in Voyager. Yeah, he continues. I, I think it's important. Also. Oh, I'll read the last little bit. He says, I haven't got the absolute conviction that there's something in life that I'm meant to do, and you have. To have that passion for anything or for anyone, it's quite splendid and quite terribly rare. But then, he says, the ones who care so terribly much, enough to risk everything, enough to change and do things. Most people aren't like that. And that they pay for it, he says. Yeah. But yeah. what makes me wonder is, when did he recognize her call? Did he always know? or Because this is right before he dies. And so, does he only recognize the call... After she's gone to medical school or after she started working as a doctor. Whereas in comparison, I would I would argue, Jamie knew pretty much from the beginning. Well, the first time he meets her, she fixes him. It does make me wonder. So yeah, okay, maybe, maybe and I, again, I'm not a Frank hater, but I certainly, you know, he's not my favorite. But at the same time, yeah, at what point did he actually recognize that? Has he always known that about her? And if so, then him not wanting her to do it is even worse... Or had he finally resigned himself to her call and that's when he no longer gave
1: her hell about it? Here's the thing. At least this is how I picture that. We don't get a clear understanding of this because we we get flashbacks of Claire's memories of what Mm -hmm. happened between she and Frank. Mm -hmm. We don't actually get a third-person observation of what happened between she and Frank. All we Mm -hmm. get is Claire's memory. And there are other women who are listening to this who've had this experience, and I've had this experience as well. So Mm. to say... This is what I meant to do. And it being unusual and different and not a part of what is expected of you as a a female or B a white woman or C a Mm -hmm. woman of color. To voice that to people and then have them Mm -hmm. look at you, particularly men, look at you Mm -hmm. and go, no. Or worse. Ignore you and pat you on the head and say, "Isn't that nice, sweetie?" I had this over and over and over again. Not mm-hmm. just I, I had this because I, you know, growing up Southern Baptist, I had a call when I was very young. And yes, it was mm-hmm. one of those moments, epiphany moments. But I was I was only like mm-hmm. four years old. I, I I did I had nothing to compare that to. The call was definitely to ministry, and the call mm-hmm. was um, different than everybody else's. But to try to explain that. To the male leaders, you mean in my it church. wasn't to just stay home and have babies? <laughs> no, and and let me just say, if it was, I certainly didn't do that well. I may have been well, called not to that, that. That's a
0: bad calling. It's not but, a bad you know, calling. It's not the but only call for women. It's
1: not the vocation that makes my heart sing. So mm. while that call was real, every person that I mentioned this to. Really Mm. pushed it away, pushed it aside, told me no. And it took until I was almost 30 for me to enter seminary and fulfill that call. But the hardest one, and I'll I'll tell this story because it's a very personal story. The hardest Mm. one was my first husband. I left college after majoring in math. I thought that I was going to go on to graduate school and teach because I love teaching as a part of my call to vocation. It is a vocational gift, and I love it. But Mm -hmm. I married someone who ultimately wanted nothing to do with the church. And so I tried and tried and tried to be something different. And I tried and tried and tried to fulfill that role of the wife and the homemaker and um, bringing home a decent salary for vacations every year and doing doing that life. I really tried because it was a life I did envy. In our fifth year, we decided that this was not what we wanted. I was no longer in love with him because he and I never connected on anything spiritual anymore. Mm. And he was no longer Mm. in love with me. And the moment that I came over to bring my ring to him and say, you can have this ring back. I told him that I was going to enter seminary that I had been accepted and that I was finally going to go and enter ministry. I can remember I was mm. sitting on the counter in what used to be our kitchen. He looked at me and he tears entered his eyes and he went, I always knew that was what you were meant to do and I was holding you back.
0: Oh my gosh. Mm.
1: He was grateful that I was doing this, but if we had stayed together, I would have never been able to fulfill that call. If we were to stay together and I had entered seminary, it would have damaged my relationship so much like what happened with Claire and Frank. It wasn't that my first husband didn't recognize the call, it's that he wouldn't hear me on it. It's that Mm. he wouldn't listen. It's that he ignored it. And it was that he kept hoping it would go away. And I I, Mm. I draw many parallels with what happened between Claire and Frank to what happened between me and my first husband. I think Frank just keeps trying to ignore it and keeps wishing it was something else. And To Mm. me, that drives a wedge between them as as much as Jamie did.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Like, I mean, she talks about. I, I think too, as far as themes go, one of the things themes I think in Dragonfly and Amber is this issue of call. Is this issue of what what are we meant to do with yes, our lives? Yeah. Because it just keeps coming up, and it's connected to identity. Obviously, call and vocation are are so so strong. Around the issue of identity as well. But throughout Dragonfly and Amber, there are these I am statements. Or these, this is who I am. This is what I do. And And so Claire talks about, I didn't just want to work again. I needed to work again. That this was yeah. who she was. And Jamie has similar statements in Dragonfly and Amber as well. But at the beginning of the story, or the beginning of Outlander, we know that Claire was preparing to be an Oxford Professor's wife, Oxford Dawn, and we knew that it was gonna be to her destruction, right? And that and that she and Frank wouldn't survive that. No. There are hints all along the way that it wasn't gonna work, that she and Frank weren't going to be happy, even if they even if she hadn't have met Jamie, even if she hadn't have gone through the stones, yeah. that there was gonna be some serious difficulty there
1: she was going to yeah. discover medical school at some point she just was yeah and this happens too in paris even with jamie yeah they want her to yeah. stay inside she's pregnant they want her to stay and they want her to be louise and she can't yeah. she's not interested yeah in i mean that's
0: her role is to play the wife right to you know sort of have the dinner parties and take care of the be in charge of the home and all that kind of stuff. And she keeps finding people with smallpox and all these other things to yeah. do instead,
1: right? Yeah. So fortunately, <laughs> she ends up finding Mother Hildegard and the, yeah. the Hospital of Angels, <clears throat> the, the L'Hôpital Ang. Mm. And Jamie tries to stop her mm. and mm. knows that he can't. She's like, I have to do this. I have to do this. She, she comes back. After she's lanced boils and gotten rid of pus, <laughs> she's and- so excited. She's so
0: happy. <laughs> Had the best day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she, so she needs to be a healer. She knows it, and she's always a healer first. She understands that that is almost the essential part of
1: her identity. Right, that she's not Claire without it. So what is thrust upon her is going through the stones. She's got a gift or a skill or a genetic mutation that allows her to do this thing that she didn't know she could mm-hmm. do. Much like Hermione Granger suddenly discovering that she, she can do stuff or the d- discovering that the Force is strong with you, with Rey in mm-hmm. Star Wars. So this thing happens to her. And so she immediately wants to put it to use. Well, not immediately. Mm. But... She mm-hmm. wants to put it to use. She she recognizes that Galus is trying to change the future by uh, mm-hmm. egging on and preparing the Jacobite Revolution. But the question, the question, and I think this will probably be its own episode too. But the question mm-hmm. is the calling of changing the future.
0: That would certainly fit in when when we talk about time travel. Yes. Um, yeah a Theology of time travel of kind of what do we have power over and what do we not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, because that's a that's a calling that that, and I think that's why. Dragonfly and Amber has got mm-hmm. so many I am, and and so much about call mm-hmm. is that they now see mm-hmm. themselves as players on in a bigger story, a much bigger story, and that they have knowledge yeah. to maybe work in that story. And Claire, knowing what she needs to do, and of course they, they fail and take the brunt of that, both of them.
0: Well, they fail in what their original intention was, but whether, uh, yeah, I don't know. We we could have this whole big philosophical discussion about whether or not they actually fail yeah. and fail at, at what i guess is maybe we what we need to define but also i i think it's really interesting claire has a conversation with roger later in voyager where she talks about because Roger, and we'll do a separate episode just on Roger's call. <laughs> There's um, so I, much here. So, this is such a good time. Oh, I just love Roger. <laughs> but anyway, so she, and I'm going to just quote, this is in Voyager where she's saying to Roger, it isn't necessarily easier if you know what it is that you're meant to do, but at least you don't waste your time in questioning and doubting. If you're honest... Well, that isn't necessarily easier either, she says. Though I suppose if you're honest with yourself and what you are or no- and know what you are, then at least you're less likely to feel as if you've wasted your life doing the wrong thing. She never really acted as if she had a choice in the sense of doing the wrong thing. You know, what? like it, it, she could have, well, you know, if she'd stayed married to Frank and if she'd Become the Oxford Don's wife, I guess, but she just didn't have a choice in that. I yeah, can't I say, can't see it. her
1: ever having really. I can see her trying because obviously she does whenever she comes back through the mm-hmm. stones, but it imploded, and she she could not not work. She couldn't not be what she is, and. And she's right, it isn't necessarily easier. Having known yeah. since I was five years old what I'm supposed to do, sometimes there's nobody for mm. me to, to minister to. And you know you know this.
0: Yeah, I do, I do.
1: Yeah, so so what do you do, Jamie, with your gigantic brain and your amazing call to do <laughs> theology? You've you've kind of created your own way, but it's not an easy way.
0: God no. No, and it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> no, right. So, um, so what do you spend your time doing in order to feel as if all these years that you've spent studying and preparing for something, and then you know, there's not some formal institution who wants to pay you to do that. So, yeah, that's that's what I struggle with. Is yeah, is just kind of maintaining or continuing in the vocation when the vocation isn't your day job and how to how to make that work and I just don't know yeah I I'm still trying to figure that one out I don't have any big answers on that yet no um, but it's
1: I, I think Claire's call is a little bit easier in the sense that there's always somebody who's sick
0: yeah and you can always get a job in yeah. healthcare if you really need to do that yeah theology eh, a little less so <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly so you know you've got this call you've got these skills you've got this training even if your husband isn't supportive she can always find mm-hmm. solace at the hospital because there's always yeah. somebody sick and she yeah. can be fulfilling that but it's hard because the two things i've been called to were ministry and acting and story and so mm-hmm. <laughs> so neither mm-hmm. of them really pay the bills and yet we're still here doing this and and yeah. you've created this whole public theologian which i think is brilliant Mm. but again how many times do we push that rock up the hill sisyphus (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. totally
0: (laughs) yeah and and how much energy can you spend just keep keeping doing that while at the same time knowing that you can't not do it in the same way that claire is it's kind of a because i i played with that for a while of you know a couple three years of just kind of going well you know i did my phd but you know i can't find a job so uh, well you know i'll just do whatever i can and and it was It was fine, but it wasn't fulfilling. And sort of after a couple of years, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I have got to do what I spent all that time doing. I think about pastors, you know, who are bivocational, or at least that was the term that was being used at the time, who, you know, have a day job, but then they're asked to be pastors as well. And I think that's just asking a lot of a person to have all these different responsibilities and this divided attention and divided energy. But at the same time, you do what you got to do. I'm not going to launch into a rant, but I, I could. People talk about the hustle and how the, hus- the hustle is, you know, not a way to live kind of thing. I think considering that what I'm doing right now, you know, and you as well, Terry, of, you know, four or five different jobs or responsibilities yeah. and you know all these balls that we're juggling when people critique the hustle i think it's very privileged and very class <laughs> classes yeah. in the sense that you know what some people don't have a choice some people have to hustle some people have to have four or five six different jobs in order to pay the bills and to make them feel bad about having to do that isn't helpful I think who they're speaking to is people who feel as if they need to be busy. And so there's a difference between busyness and hustle. Yeah, when it comes to vocation, some of us, in order to fulfill what we feel called to do, have to hustle. And so I just kind of, again, maybe I did go on a rant. But just be careful about that language. Um, Because, yeah, some people just... They don't have a choice. They need to do it either
1: out of necessity or out of calling. I think there are those of us, and I, I just discovered this term a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The term is called mm-hmm. a multipotentialite, and I love the term. Look it yeah. up. Google it. It's a TED Talk. There are some of yeah. us who... A, don't have a choice, and I, I don't have a choice. I really do have to do all of these things because I love all of these things yeah. and because, A, I also need money. Yeah. There, there, there are some of <laughs> yeah. us who do a lot of different things, and we have a lot of different passions, yeah. and we have a lot of different things, and, and I am mm-hmm. one of these people. I have a huge passion, mm-hmm. obviously, for Outlander. I have a huge passion for narrative theology no matter what narrative you're throwing my way film theology mm-hmm. no matter what film you're throwing my way i have a huge passion mm-hmm. for preaching i have a huge passion for acting and theater i've got i've got these all of these passions that are kind of out there and they all boil down to being a storyteller mm-hmm. and connecting dots mm-hmm. but in in mm-hmm. today's world, people are looking for the Claires because they're easier to define. You have one calling, and this is the thing you yeah. do, right? People are looking for yeah. that. But what if yeah. you have a multitude of different callings? What if you're a polymath? Yes, yeah, yeah. that's another term for yeah. it. What if you're a polymath? What mm-hmm. are you? What if you do mm-hmm. a lot of things and could do a lot of things? What if you're Frank? Mm-hmm. I could do a lot yeah. of things, and I choose to mm-hmm. do the things I love and feel passionate about, so that my soul doesn't die. And, <laughs> and little. Bits of it do every day, anyhow, but but that's because of all of the different <laughs> yeah, things I'm some doing. Some of the things you have to, to do. do in order for calling exactly. do make your soul exactly. die. Exactly, yeah. and those people get labeled as unfocused. Those people get labeled as flighty mm-hmm. and and kind of flaky. And we're not. We just happen to have a lot of talent <laughs> and and a lot yeah. of. Passion, and it takes a lot of focus to be able to keep so many balls in the air just like you do Mm -hmm. you've got like four deadlines (sighs) this past week I had four this week yeah 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 Yeah. so
0: well and in for in in academia the the way I approach a lot of the work I do that's that is what people have said it's like I'm I'm not focused or I'm not in a particular discipline because I work in an interdisciplinary way. So, you know, I'm interested in theology, but I'm only interested in theology when it relates to real life. And so it also relates to politics, it relates to gender, it relates to race, it relates, you know, conflict and all these kinds of things. And so it goes across so many different disciplines. And I can't, I can't work in one silo. I can't do just one thing um, because I see how it connects to so many others and and to not emphasize those connections seems dishonest
1: yes it is totally and I think that, that you need to do one thing you need to put this widget on that widget is a leftover from mm-hmm. the Industrial Revolution, and we should just let the damn thing go. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Let I it go. Agree. Yeah. A
0: much more, a much more holistic idea. I think about all that. But yeah, within academic circles, that's one of the reasons why I have difficulty in finding positions that are a good match for me. Is because I do color outside
1: the lines, and yeah. some people find that threatening. Which yeah. is why we're doing this podcast. Because this is outside the lines. This is a little. (laughs) This is different than what other folks are doing
0: for Outlander.
1: And this is different than what other folks are doing in, in our theological academic circles. So questions at the end of this episode have to do with you and your callings. Have you ever had a call? Is there something that gives you great gladness, like Frederick Buechner's quote, that helps meet Mm. the needs of the world? Is there a vocation Mm. that you have felt called to? And if not, it's there's mm. no judgment, obviously, but we would just love to know your stories mm. around that, whether you have or have not had a calling, whether you feel you have or have not had yep. a vocation, and how that happened, whether it was something you grew into, mm-hmm. something that was thrust upon you. Mm-hmm. It does not have to be your career obviously.
0: Career is different from vocation,
1: yeah. Yeah, crazy cat lady has a calling to take in all the cats in the neighborhood. We we joke about that because my house, all of our animals, and we have had many, are all strays and outlanders themselves, and so we've got a big sign over our house that says all sick, lame, and lazy animals come to us, and so that's kind of my calling. If there's a sick, lame, or lazy animal, I'm going to be taking that animal in, so... And they are usually thrust upon me. So So it can be something more or less
0: than a career path. For the second question, how do you feel about Claire's call? What do you think about that? What thoughts might have come to your mind as you see that story develop over the existing eight books? And do you think she's doing it? Do you think she's not? Do you think she had a choice? Just kind of reflections on Claire's call, maybe.
1: Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back.
0: So, we want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about how you can support us. If you've read sort of our bios on the website or you listened to the first episode, then you know that both Terry and I are are busy women with several jobs each, and we are squeezing this <laughs> podcast in uh, into what is really already full plates. So from the listener feedback, we know that there are a few of you, at least out there, who are catching each episode and who are responding to what we're doing, and it's it's been meaningful for you. So if you're in any position to support us, we would
1: Really appreciate it. If you click on the support us button at the top of our website, which is outlandersoul.com, it'll take you to a list of things you can do. You could support us financially through Patreon, starting at only a dollar a month. So if you like what you hear and want to pay $12 a year and want to help us grow, we'd really appreciate your investment in our work. Yeah, and we
0: have different levels of support too. So the first would be uh, Mrs. Fitz, who sort of just, you know, keeps things running for us and is the the (laughs) engine behind the scenes, to the Murta level, to the, you know, the right hand man sort of level. So, you know, you can choose which one you want, depending on the the amount of support you want to give us. But the amount that you give us, however much it is, will contribute to us being able to invite guests onto the show. We've got a few people that, that we want to have on who are really interesting and doing some really interesting work around Outlander but also to have a sound editor so that it allows us to record a bit more and we've also thought about doing get-togethers and so that would enable us to spend some time
1: to do the admin to make that happen. And we want to give a shout out to Lynn who is our very first patron at $5 a month. Give it up for Lynn and we just so appreciate this. I know great things are going to happen the more patrons we get. And you can also listen to the podcast now through Stitcher or Radio Public, and you'll find the links on our website. We get a few pennies for every listen, so if you can't afford to support us through Patreon, this is a great option. So choose Stitcher or Radio Public if you can.
0: You can also review us on iTunes. I know if you're a regular podcast listener to other podcasts you hear this all the time, but it really matters. So when you review us it helps us to reach more people because then iTunes uh, spends more time publicizing our podcast. And so if you're able to review us on iTunes, we would
1: really appreciate it. You can also Spread the word about Outlander Soul on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Share our posts. Tell all your friends. We just want to get this out there as far and as wide and as broadly as possible. We appreciate
0: whatever help you can give us. So please think about ways in which you support us and,
1: and we'd love to have you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We'd really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps people find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting
0: us via Patreon. Just click on the Support Us button at the top of the page at
1: outlandersoul.com and every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas. Part of the work we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're interested in what you have to say.
0: And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So please respond to our survey questions found on our website related to this episode or follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast
0: at gmail.com or via our website at outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Bye.